So, we've been looking at the book of Daniel, uh, chapter by chapter, over the last term. For this first Sunday of this year, we're going to try and look at the whole book in one go. So, I'm going to try and keep to good time, and um, I hope that it will be useful and interesting to you, and we're going to give the whole book a go. Let's cast our minds back to September, to why we started looking at Daniel at the first place. We called the series Mad World because that's what we live in. Everything that was certain and normal for us um, about 10 months ago disappeared, was gone, uh, collapsed. Nothing has been normal since. But in the, uh, in the next six months, we are promised that life will turn somewhat back to something like we knew before. And I think it's important that as the world becomes less mad, we really think about what did we learn when the world went mad that we need to take with us? What did we think about and learn about trusting God, about how to react to the craziness of the world over the last period that we need to take with us now? We don't want to lose that because one of the things that Daniel has taught us is that all dawns are false dawns until Jesus returns. So one of the things Daniel has been telling us is that the history of the world is just a lot of empires fighting um, over who can be the most powerful repeatedly. And even if there's a vaccine or not a vaccine, a treatment or not a treatment, that will still be the history of the world until Jesus comes back. So what we learn in moments of extreme madness are things that we should take into normal life. And as we sort of gradually reawaken over this next six months, we want to be careful not just to drop back into everything the way it was last March. We want to really think about what did we learn when the world went mad that should form who we are as it becomes less mad, at least to us. There's actually something I really want us to think about as a church. We don't want to just reintroduce the programme we were doing 10 months ago. We're going to talk about that as a church. But it's a really important question for us to think about individually and as families. What have I learned from God over the last 10 months that should shape who I am from now on forever? And we've learned lots about living in a mad world from Daniel, and we want to take lots of that with us. Let's talk first about the structure of Daniel. Now, this diagram that's going to appear on your screens, uh, beside me, here or here it usually is, um, that's also available as a handout that you can download. The link should be just below this video. I really recommend that you do that or so you don't get lost. You can do it now. It should just be a PDF. There's sort of three ways of looking at the book of Daniel. The middle one there is the one that we've sort of done. So basically the book splits in half. The first half is stories of Daniel and his friends and their life in Babylon. And the second half is visions, Daniel's visions. And we've talked a lot about the front line in the situation room. So the front line, the first half of the book is Christians having to live in the world day by day. And the second half of the book is God's view of that, the situation room, the spiritual reality which Christians reflect in their spiritual lives. And how the spiritual reality is there's always godless empires fighting for power 
and God is empowering his people to do what's right in every godless empire. And one to six is how they get on with that. That's the way we've sort of thought about it. To the left of that, there's another way to think about the book, which is an interesting thing about how it's written. Uh, chapter one is written in Hebrew and chapter eight onwards is written in Hebrew. So that's the language that God's people spoke. So those chapters seem to be written to God's people. In between, the book is written in Aramaic, which was a much more global language. And it's almost as if chapter one, which describes Daniel going into exile, and chapter eight onwards describes how God's people should view the world, are written for God's people. But chapters two to seven, which describe the collapse of human empires under God's power, everybody needs to know that. That's another way of thinking about the book. But I think the best way, the most helpful way, is this one on the right. You'll see it's um, chapters one to eight are what is often called a chiasm. It goes like that. So one and eight match each other, two and seven match each other, three and six match each other, and four and five match each other. And so one and eight are about how God's people should live in an exiled country. Two and seven are both dreams about kingdoms and earthly kingdoms collapsing and God's kingdoms lasting forever. Chapter three is Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego being put into the fiery furnace. And chapter six is Daniel being put into the lion's den, which are very similar stories. And chapter four and chapter five are about God dealing with kings who claim authority over his people. And so chapter four and five are really the centre of the book. And so that's uh, where we're going to start. So chapter four and five is really answering this question, who is actually king? That's the central message of the whole of Daniel. Who are we going to see is actually in charge? And God is proving throughout this book that no matter what we can see or not see, no matter what Daniel can see or not see, he is always ruling. Even when you, surprisingly, against your own expectations, end up in a very dark place, God is still God. He's still in charge of that. And we should still treat him as in charge. I think that's been the biggest lesson for us as our world has gone mad, isn't it? That it's easy to let go of what matters. But Daniel's been saying to us, as everything around you goes crazy, God is still God and your consistent way of living is to obey him rather than everyone else all the time because he's still God no matter the dark, strange world that's unfolding around you. God is still God, treat him as God. And chapters four and five is the story of two kings, Nebuchadnezzar the father and Belshazzar the son. And it's showing that God has power over the most powerful people. Both Nezer and Belshazzar were dictators. Nobody on the world, in the world could limit their power. They were dictator kings of the most powerful country in the world. So, but they are both going to learn that God is above them. There's two ways to deal with uh, God being in charge. One is to do what Nebuchadnezzar did, who after some battling and fighting and still insisting he was in charge, was eventually thrown down and humbled. 
He was thrown down from his humanity into behaving like an animal. But that is one of the ways you can see that God is in charge. You can humble yourself. And because of that, he was rescued. He was saved. But then there was Belshazzar, who even though he'd seen that happen to his father, continued to spit in God's face, to disrespect God, to actually be as blasphemous as possible before God. And chapter 5 is the story of how he sees a vision of writing on the wall, where that phrase comes from in the English language, that tells him he's been weighed in the balance and found wanting, and that very night he's assassinated. That is the middle of the book, and that's the key message of the book. God is in charge of the world. As the world goes mad, are you going to humble yourself before him and admit he's in charge, or continue to rebel against him and be judged? And so the reading we had is what Nebuchadnezzar says in the middle of this section, that God is the only one with an everlasting kingdom. That's our lesson for the mad world. As everything's gone mad, and who knows how much longer it will all still be a bit crazy, God's in charge and we always obey him. Only he is really in charge. And he proves it by bringing down in Daniel the most powerful people. And so we don't conform ourselves to even the most powerful people because God is the one who is really ruling. That's chapters four and five. Let's take a step out to chapters 3 and 6. And chapters 3 and 6 are about living in two kingdoms. So it's all very well saying that God is in charge. That's fine. I still have to live in this world where other people think they're in charge. I mean, my government or my boss or um, my some people in my family, they don't think God's in charge. How do you live in the world where you believe God rules, but the people who seem to rule don't believe that? And that's where Daniel gets commended for wisdom, the wise way to live in the world. It's not to withdraw. That's actually what some Christians have tried over the years. They've said, because the world, the bad world, doesn't believe God's in charge, we'll withdraw and hide and set up Christian versions of everything. That's not the right way to uh, behave. That's not the wise way to behave. Neither is the wise way to behave, to plunge into this world and say, well, God doesn't seem to be evident, so I'll just do what I like. No, the wise way to live is to be really involved in the wicked world, living as God is in charge. That in Daniel is called wisdom, the right way to live. But when you live that way, right in the centre of the wicked world, but distinctively obeying God, the weight of other people's wrong will fall on you. And chapters 3 and 6 are both about that. Chapter 3 is where Nebuchadnezzar sets up a statue of himself and says, if you don't worship it, you're going to be thrown in the fire. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Daniel's friends, say, no, we're not going to. And Daniel 6 is where a king says, if you pray to anyone else uh, except me, I'm going to feed you to lions. Daniel just continues to pray to God as he always has done. Now, it's interesting, the context of both of those is that they were very senior in the government. They were working hard to be involved and bring good to Babylon. But the payment for that wasn't they were really honoured and everybody thought they were great. 
being involved and bringing blessing and being distinctive, which is the wise thing to do, brings the weight of a godless world down on you. It brings the demand that you worship what everybody else is worshiping. And the message of Daniel is, the world is always calling you to that. And if you're not going to go in, give in to that, you're going to bring trouble on yourself. And the more involved you are, and the more you try and bring blessing by being involved in the world, the more you're exposed to that type of threat. But I love uh, their responses. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, it's summed up in these verses from chapter three. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image that you have set up. That's how we live. We don't hide away and withdraw from the world. No, we get stuck right into the wicked world and bring blessing. We expect that will bring us trouble. And when it does, we don't fold. But we say, we are not going to worship whatever God. The God we know is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship what you worship. That's living in two kingdoms. And the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament really explores what that's like for Christians. So that's chapters three and six. Let's take another step, chapters two and seven. Both of chapters two and seven involve dreams and they involve uh, dreams about kingdoms falling. Chapter two is Nebuchadnezzar having a dream of a statue that has a rock thrown at it and it falls over. And chapter seven is Daniel's dream. He dreams about four kingdoms represented by animals. Uh, they all fail, but God gives the everlasting kingdom to one person, someone called the Son of Man. His kingdom will last forever. And it's that title in the New Testament that Jesus calls himself. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter two, one rock is thrown it knocks all the other kingdoms down and then it grows into a mountain that fills the earth. In chapter seven, one person is given authority and their kingdom is the only one that will last forever. And chapter two and seven have the same message, which is there's only one kingdom that lasts forever. So you should commit yourself to that kingdom, the one ruled by the son of man, the one that has outlasted every other kingdom and is still to this day growing till it covers the whole earth. And the thing we learn from Daniel about if you believe that what you do is that you speak the truth, even to powerful people. Daniel had to go into Nebuchadnezzar and say, your kingdom isn't going to last forever and only one kingdom is and it's, good. it's the one that's going to fill the whole earth. If you really believe only God's kingdom will last forever, Daniel teaches us you speak respectfully, gently, wisely, choosing your moment, but you say to powerful people, you think you're in charge, but you're not. And that's the call to people like us. Many people in our church have the ear of extremely influential people. You're senior and senior people talk to you and the call of Daniel is to remember chapter 2 and chapter 7 there's only one kingdom that will last forever so speak the gospel truth to the most powerful people they seem like Nebuchadnezzar impregnable 
But the truth we can even see, having lived a couple of thousand years since Daniel, is that their kingdoms do fall, but God's does continue to grow. That's chapter 2 and chapter 7, which say there's dreams of kingdoms, there are kingdoms that fall, and knowing that every kingdoms fall, what we are empowered to do is speak truth, even to powerful people. That's chapters 2 and 7. And then we get to chapters 1 and 8. Now, you might remember, if you've got the handout, you'll still be able to see it. 1 and 8 are Hebrew chapters, not Aramaic chapters. That is, they don't seem to be this announcement to the world that God's in charge. They seem to be describing to God's people in Hebrew, in their language, how they should think about being in exile. Well, you may remember Daniel chapter 1. Daniel's uprooted with his friends uh, because he's part of the royal family and taken to university in Babylon and basically they attempt to indoctrinate him so he can work for the Babylonian Empire. He does join in and he gets taught there. Uh, I think a great lesson for us about how we don't avoid everything to do with the world. But he draws his line. No one really knows why he draws his line, but he decides that it would be defiling himself to eat food from the king's table. And that's a little message for people who are God's people who live in a world that is godless. It says to them, it says to us, you need to decide to be distinctive. And you need to draw lines in the sand that make you distinctive, even if they're not commanded of you. It's not just that Daniel was obeying God's law here. He actually said, I'm going to choose to do something beyond God's law so that it is clear that I am different. It's so the opposite of what most Christians do. We keep our heads down and hope no one notices we're a Christian. We don't lie and steal because that's the law, but we sort of hope no one notices, so there's no fuss about it. Daniel says, no, go beyond what God commands you to do to make yourself stand out in a way that doesn't offend and isn't pushy and doesn't hurt anybody. That's the message to God's people in exile. Make that type of decision. Why would you do that? Why would you stand out as different from this kingdom that is surrounding you and giving you good stuff? Well, chapter eight, which is one of Daniel's dreams, explains why you would do that. It's the story of four kingdoms that will all that will, um, a series of kingdoms that will all fall. But the thing about those kingdoms is they're all depicted as animals. And the more I've read the book, the more I've begun to think that's really important. We need to be involved in the world that we may view as evil and be trying to bring blessing in the darkest places. But that can easily become thinking, oh, if we get the best leader, if we get a politician on our side, if we sort something out politically, then this will be our kingdom that we can build. And Daniel 8 says, all the kingdoms of the world are animals. When people get together and get power, they always behave in an animalistic way. So Daniel chapter 1, make sure you draw the line to make that you're distinctive in some way from that animal kingdom. Even as you seek to do good and bring blessing and you're respectful and you're learning, all of those things Daniel's doing in chapter 1. Um, 
as I've, I've been preparing, Daniel, it's just been really clear to me that even in our pleasant liberal democracy, all the people with power behave like animals. They do what they like and escape any accountability for it. And then when they think they've escaped accountability, a few months later, they're out of favour with the person in power and they're sacked. They behave like animals. All animal kingdoms are animals. We should never throw our lot in and rely on. We should always be thinking, how do I need to stand out? Don't defile yourself by giving yourself fully to a kingdom and putting your hope in it. That probably applies to us most in our workplaces or our neighbourhoods. Are you collaborating with an evil system so that you get what you want? Or are you trying to bring blessing to other people but drawing your lines and saying, I will not go further than that. Can I give a little example of that? Just someone told me recently, someone like many people in our church is involved in the vaccine rollout. And they basically were told, you have to come into work to give vaccines to people, lots, every day you can think of. And this person basically said, I will work all the hours God sends to get the vaccine to people, except on this particular day where I've committed to love and help this person I know who needs help. I've committed to do it and I'm not coming in because I've said I'll do it on that day. It's a brilliant Daniel example because that person brings blessing where they are by working hard, but no law in the Bible they say they have to go and help that person. But they say, my line is, you are not going to stop me serving and helping this person. Even though the most important thing in the world at the moment is getting the vaccine to people. My line is there. And we all need to be thinking about that. Chapter 1, chapter 8. Well, that's the chiasm, the thing that goes like that, that works out to chapters 1 and chapter 8. And so we're left at the end with chapter 9 and then chapters 10 to 12. Chapter 9 is Daniel's prayer. It's Daniel's prayer. It's a long prayer where Daniel responds to everything that's happening to him by praying in some of God's promises from the Bible. He spends ages talking to God about his and his nation's failure and asking God to do something that's different. Here is wisdom for a mad world. Get to God's promises in scripture and throw yourself before him and pray them in. And there's this lovely verse that when Daniel's praying, it's while he's still praying. It says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing the sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God and that of, uh, um, presenting my plea before the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight. So it's while he's still praying, God sends an angel to act and answer his prayer. You know, if it's true that all the kingdoms of the world are evil, and if our calling is to bring blessing and to stand up for what's right and take the flack that comes with that, we must be people who threw ourselves before the Lord for prayer, asking for his help, confessing our failure, 
engaging with God deeply so that we're able to do the things he's called us to do. I hope that's something we've learned as our world has gone mad. I hope it's been a time where we've thought, I can only get through this if I pray. But I fear for our church, it's not. I don't want to judge anyone's prayer life by attendance at prayer meetings. Everybody could be praying by themselves at home fervently like Daniel. I don't know. But I will say that when we uh, moved prayer and prayers online, which is a Sunday prayer meeting once a month, at first loads of people came because it was like exciting to be doing prayer on Zoom. And to be honest, prayer meeting and Zoom have been one of my favourite things about this whole crisis. Prayer meetings work really well on Zoom. You don't even have to leave your house. I've got to say that far from this mad world feeding our dependence on God on prayer as a church, like Daniel, the sort of petered out who's coming to that meeting. Now, maybe you're praying like Daniel by yourself all the time and at home. And if you are, great, I am glad of it. But I suspect this is one thing that God's people are supposed to learn when the, learn when the world goes mad that we have not quite learned. Because it seems to me when you have a heart for prayer and you're praying lots by yourself, you're drawn to come and pray with others. And in fact, I think we've probably been self-medicating with food and TV and entertainment and saying I'm too tired and I'm zoomed out. And not learning this thing that Daniel learned, that the wise response is to pray before God using his promises. And I invite you to learn that in these few months, however months we've got left of abnormality, and take it into normal life. Chapters 10 to 12 are the big picture. After we have everything about Daniel's life and how he's to view the world that he lives in and how he responds, 10 to 12 are the future for Daniel from where he is right to the very end of time. He sees the lot. It's a long vision about the near and distant future. And he gets all of that insight so that God can say to him at the end of the book, as for, your, as for you, go your way till the end. You will rest and at the end of days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. It's basically God saying at the end of the book, it's all very well me saying to you, obey God now and you'll receive the flack for it, but it's the right thing to do. That's not the only reason to be wise. The other reason to be wise is that we have a different end in view. Our hope is not the vaccine. Our hope is not a better prime minister. Our hope is not scientific advances. Our hope is that Jesus is returning to make everything new. And that's the reason that we are wise and obey God and live now for his kingdom. Because our hope is that he will return and that eternal kingdom will be a reality. And the only thing we get to take from here to there are the wise things that led others to righteousness. That's what sh will shine in that far kingdom. Well, that's all of Daniel in a few minutes. I hope it's a good reminder to you to bring everything we've learning about Daniel into 2021. Two things I think we have to take away. The first is this, 
whatever unfolds around you this year, God is always in charge. And whatever is happening around you, whoever seems to be in power and whatever they're telling you to do, your question to ask is, how do I honour God as the real king in this situation? Second challenge. If we do that, that's going to mean throwing ourselves to be involved in a world that looks wicked. And as we bring blessing to that world, not getting clapped, told we're great, everybody going onto their doorsteps and saying how great we are, but actually bearing all the weight of people's rebellion against God on ourselves. But that is the right way to live until the end because Jesus is coming back and we want our wisdom to shine and we want to lead others to righteousness. And that we can do like Daniel if we know as the main thing this book is saying, God is the real king. Let's pray. Thanks Heavenly Father for this book of Daniel and it's just been a joy to study it for me. And I hope some of that, Lord please, will some of that go to people in our church where we love this bit of your word and learn its lessons well. We thank you that whatever unfolds in the months ahead, you're the king and we pray that we will live that out. Oh Lord, give us the strength by your spirit to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.